Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And, of course, I'm joined by Tom Dorian. All right. Touchdown, TD. Thank you. Welcome to the Luxurious Corner Booth once again. Excited to be here. There's a buzz in the cafe. Have you noticed? Yeah, and actually I think there's some uh, bad ballast in one of the fluorescent <laughs> lights, and we're going to have that fixed uh, immediately. But No, uh, you walked in. I was already here. You walked in. Everybody did. There was a hush. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was a buzz. They thought that uh, maybe Deacon perhaps Jeff's all the food the was going to be free today, but yeah, no, it's not. That doesn't happen we got to pay the bills somehow. Exactly. Well, listen, you know what we're going to do? We're going to talk about problems. I can't wait. Well, you know, all of our shows so far, if you count them, I don't know how many there are. I know you've got a bunch, by We the have way. a bunch of shows, and I have a bunch of problems. That's yes, true. But I also do. have a bunch of shows, and those shows are all about these wonderful, positive things. Right. Right? Well, now I'm going to talk about problem things. Problem things for? Well, not for everybody, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that as we go along here. Okay. But really, this, this is about problem passages all right. in sacred scripture. And, um, you know, I think you know my story, Tom, and I know I've I shared do. it with our listeners a little bit about the fact that I was born and raised Catholic, kind of fell right. away from my faith, mm-hmm. uh, lack of knowledge, mm-hmm. for sure, lack of understanding of uh, how to live the Catholic uh, Church's teachings, mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of people have been in that boat. Oh, yeah. And I came back to the faith in a very profound way, obviously, but came back to the faith after having studied the early church fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a big part of it for me. But also, the sacred scriptures came alive right. for me. I started reading the sacred scriptures for all they were worth. Um, and I think that uh, that was something that really helped me. But I will tell you that for that time period when I was sort of a nebulous Catholic, I didn't really know anything about my faith, but mm-hmm. I'd kind of sort of been born again. I found this need for Jesus Christ in my life. And right. so I started reading my scriptures at that point, mm-hmm. and I have to admit that while I was technically, quote-unquote, a Protestant, mm-hmm. that I uh, I had some problems with certain passages okay. that I could not reconcile with my sort of newfound faith in Christ. Interesting. And, and well, and so we're going to go through some of these passages Great. that I think that in the in, – uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, if you don't have time for the whole show, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now the ending, which is these <laughs> these these uh, – these passages are not problems for Catholics. In fact, the Catholic right. Church is the only church where you can read these and it goes like we nod our heads and say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Exactly. Well, we're going to go through some of these pra- uh, passages because I think it's important uh, that we that we talk a little bit about those. Yeah, there's a couple in here I really like. Yeah, and that's good. You're going to let me know when those are. All but right. We're going to start with, uh, with, the, with the granddaddy. I love this, uh, this first passage, and this is Matthew uh, chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, when I was outside the church, this was problematic, because I'm thinking, who is this Peter guy? Why is why does he get the keys? Well, this that's when you start getting into the argument of Petros... Petra. Oh, listen, I read all those things. I yeah. read all that stuff about... Well, I mean, that's what you hear. Well, was was Peter this little rock and this right. big rock? And right. was he a girl? Was he a boy? I, it's all these weird things on how you say the name right, right in Greek. And, and then 
how that translated. But then I read something that said that Jesus didn't speak in Greek. Greek right. That's <laughs> or exactly Latin. right. He spoke in Aramaic. Think of the odds. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he, he would have said uh, kepha, kepha or, right. yeah, Cephas is a transliteration that, that St. Paul uses. But basically he called Peter a rock. Right. And so we knew that Peter, I knew that Peter was that rock. Mm-hmm. And many Protestant scholars agree that Peter was that rock. But I got to tell you, this was this was problematic for for me not being a Catholic at that time. I didn't have any way to explain why Peter was given this all these these this authority. It's problematic for Catholics too because they really don't understand that argument. Well, we have a great show that talks about Peter and the papacy, right? And, that, and you should listen to that because it goes into this whole Isaiah chapter twenty-two reference mm-hmm. about the uh, Shebna and uh, Eliakim mm-hmm. uh, and this the keys, the master of the house, and all that kind of stuff that Jesus was actually referring to. And from that, we'll get a great sense of basically the papacy, right? Right. And here, as Catholics, we we nod our heads, right? We look at Matthew chapter sixteen and we say, "That makes sense." Yeah, absolutely. This is a, this is what we see in the papacy. Mm-hmm. Right, our 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 holy father now is basically uh, in lineage, right, with Peter, exactly. and he holds those keys. That's why you see the the papal insignias or the you know uh, the, anything that says anything about Peter, the statues of right. Peter. He's holding keys. keys, right? Exactly right. So th- that was a problem passage, but again, for Catholics, not a problem, right? Not a problem <laughs> at all. Uh, you know, kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Is this other uh, passage I want to talk about, and that's First uh, uh, Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. That's one of my favorites. I said it says, "I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth." Now you listen to that on. You know, just a, a, a cursory listening. It's like that's not why is that a problem, right? Except if you look at the detail of what what's being said here, mm-hmm. right? We says it says right here the the house of God, the church of the living God, right? So we're talking about the church. Then there's this descriptor of the that church, says, uh, the, the pillar, pillar and bulwark of the truth. Exactly. It's like hello. it's like well, wait a second, because. Once I had sort of found this new faith in Christ and I sort of started going to a non-denominational evangelical church, mm-hmm. I was being taught. Bible alone. Well, it was all this thing about the the, the scriptures. That's where right. we're going to find God. Right. And we do find God in the scriptures. As Absolutely. Catholics, we believe this. Uh, we believe they are divine, divinely revealed to us. The scriptures are divine revelation. We, we, we can find all we need to know about God in those scriptures, mm-hmm. but we also find all we need to know about God in sacred tradition. Well, right. there was no place for that in, in that sort of Protestant understanding. So when I read this and find out that, uh, that the pillar and bulwark of truth is not the Bible, I would have said that that passage, if I was rewriting scripture, and mm-hmm. making it more convenient for myself. Right. I would have said, oh, uh, how to behave while reading the Word of God, which is the Bible, <laughs> the pillar and bulwark of the truth. Well, that's not what it says. Right. And so, again, you can see how this can be a problem. Right. Because now we find that the church is the pillar and bulwark of truth. Yeah. The church is where we found the, find the truth. And, in fact, the church is what gave us the Bible. Right? A lot of people forget that. They forget that, they forget you know, the, three or four hundred years. First. That's exactly right. We've had three or four hundred years of Christian church. Right. Right. And then we have this thing put together called a Bible. By the church. Yeah. So, uh, wow, that, that sort of puts a spin on things that was difficult. And, again, 
that was a problem passage for me. I had a problem with that. But as Catholics, here we go. We nod our heads. We're like little bobbin head dolls. Yep, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Well, let's go on to this next uh, this next passage because it's very closely related. It is. This is Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Mm-hmm. All right, well, again, as a Catholic, here we go. We're nodding our heads. Absolutely. Makes sense. It does. Right? And you can see where St. Paul, talking to the Thessalonians, is saying, well, yeah, if, if, if it's written down to us, if we write you this, then you should listen to it. Right. Right? If it's, if it's by letter, you should, you, should, you should follow these traditions that we're laying down. But also if we share it with you by word of mouth, which opens up this huge door and this huge problem for me as a Protestant when I was looking at this going, wait a second, it's only supposed to be written down. It's kind of common sense. I mean, Paul isn't going to hand out Bibles. He's not going to, he's not going to hand out paper. He's going to communicate orally. He's going to, he's going to. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the problem is in this day and age, when you have a sort of a Bible only, a sola scriptura mentality, if you're thinking it's only going to be in scripture. It's easy to forget. Well, more importantly, I don't want to listen to anything that any human being says. Right. It can only come from these written down words, but that goes contrary to what St. Paul is telling us. St. Paul says that we should listen to what they're saying either by word of mouth or by letter. Right. So if someone's preaching or teaching in the apostolic tradition, mm-hmm. which we believe in the Catholic Church, that we're in that lineage, right? Apostolic exactly. succession. Exactly. Then we need to listen to them, their word of mouth. And so now naturally, that would mean that we need to be listening as Catholics when the Holy Father speaks. When right. the magisterium, the teaching arm of the church speaks, we need to be listening. And that makes perfect sense. Big time. Again, it's a problem for those who would look at sola scriptura and say, well, this is where I find the truth only in this Bible. It is a problem. Well, let's move on here. We got uh, we got something from First Peter. This next passage is uh, the, the, the first letter of Peter, uh, chapter 3, verse 21 Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, you know, when I was a Protestant and I looked at that verse. I had a show say, on this. Well, I said, I know we talked about baptism. We have a right. great show on baptism. Uh, people should look up on the web and find right. that. But when I used to say baptism and I would, I would as a Protestant I looked at that and said see it says right there it's, it's not saving you as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience right mm-hmm. so it's not the baptism that's saving you but that's not I was reading it wrong mm-hmm. it's definitely when St. Peter says this he says specifically that baptism which corresponds to this now saves you baptism now saves you right I remember sitting down and talking to a Baptist one time mm-hmm. Uh, it was a Baptist uh, minister, and I stopped there and asked him. I was talking. I was working in their church, and I uh, uh, doing a video that I, I do. And uh, so I'm meeting with the pastor there and saying, well, help me understand this. You're a Baptist church, and you talk, you're teaching on baptism. Well, he talked about baptism, baptism being an ordinance, something right. they were required to do, but it had no effect. Mm-hmm. They did it merely because the Lord told them to do it, right? Right. And I know there's, it's, it, there's a deeper understanding of baptism than what I'm, I'm, I'm saying there because I can't, don't have the time to go into right, the whole right. theology of it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. But it had no effect, hmm. right? You didn't need to be baptized 
there was no necessity for baptism. Well, we as Catholics look at this particular verse right here from First Peter, and we see baptism now saves you. So baptism saves us. And then we hear, of course, Jesus saying that unless you're born again of water and spirit, right, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we know this to, to, um, to be true, and we know this not to be a problem from the Catholic perspective. Exactly. But again, as a Protestant, when I looked at that uh, verse, big problem for me. Yep. Baptism saves us. I thought it was our faith. Right, I, right. I, I didn't think it was this baptism right. that had anything to do with it. Right, that that baptism was just a sign. Right. Anyway, we have more to talk about when it Great. comes to uh, these problem passages. We've got several more problems we have to go through. Great. First, I want to remind folks at home uh, that I would love to hear from you. I'd love for you to email me, tell me what's going on in your life, maybe what you want us to talk about here on the Catholic Cafe. And you can send your emails to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. It is the understatement of the millennia to say that the very early church proved to be difficult and trying times for believers in the Lord Jesus. Not only were they considered outcast by the Jews of their day, but Rome had obviously set her sights on the fledgling church as well. In fact, even while many of the original Twelve Apostles were still alive, countless Christians were being martyred by the Roman authorities for their newfound faith in Christ and His Church. One of the worst enemies of the early Church was Emperor Nero. The year 64 AD proved to be the height of his persecutions of Christians. This is a year that Rome burned, and two-thirds of the Eternal City lay in ruins. It is said that Nero might have set the fires intentionally so that he could rebuild the city as he saw fit, or that he simply wanted to create a reason to gain support from the Roman citizens for his persecution of the church. But regardless of why the fires were started, Nero needed a scapegoat, and he blamed the early Christians. He soon began a bloody rampage of persecution, torture, and death, the likes of which had never been seen in Rome. Many non-Christian ancient historians have documented the unusually gruesome deaths that were perpetrated on these early faithful. Many were crucified, many dressed in animal skins and thrown to wild beasts for entertainment, and tradition tells us that some were even used as human torches to light the streets of Rome. Regardless of the means of death, the Church fondly remembers each of these first martyrs. Called the proto-martyrs of Rome, their steadfast love of Christ, even in the face of a cruel death, would stand as a shining example for Christians for nearly 2,000 years. While Nero's goal was to supplant the Christian movement and stifle the growth of the church, his actions ended up backfiring. The proto-martyrs showed that they were ready and willing to share in the suffering, death, and ultimate resurrection of Jesus. This served only to inspire and motivate the persecuted Christians. In fact, the more the church was persecuted, the more it grew. No one knows the exact number of martyrs who paid the ultimate price for their faith at this time in history, but their gift of witness has made a lasting impact on the people of God. The Catholic Church has dedicated a site in Vatican City in their honor, the Piazza of the Proto-Martyrs. Their feast day, celebrated by the Church Universal, is June 30th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I am sitting here talking to Tom. Hey, Deacon Jeff. Tom, what do you do when you have problems? Oh, I pray. No. Go away somewhere. You okay. Ignore I'm not I ignore him. Okay. Yeah. Pink <laughs> elephant. Stay away. Avoid them. No. We we all tend to want to make our problems go away. Okay. Right. Sometimes we get rid of the problem, right? We fix the problem. Right. Sometimes what guys we do. ignore the problem. Yeah. And maybe it'll go away. Right, and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't always go away. And for me, these problems were not going away. Right. Um, as, as much as I wanted to ignore and sort of sweep these passages under the rug, I, I just I just know that in my conversations with some of my uh, my good friends uh, who are not Catholic, uh, they don't always bring these passages up to me. Right. They tend to talk about the other passages, the ones they know really well, and that's right. fine. Right. A lot of times, there's a tendency when something doesn't fit. When there's a black sheep, you know, we kind of want to ignore mm-hmm. the the problem. But for me, it didn't work, and I actually. That's when I started doing more investigating and started, and that's where I, I ended up coming back into the Catholic Church. Right. You know, we read things sometimes, and we don't always hear maybe what God is really speaking to us about. And I would just pray that someone would read I, I this. I believe that. Because uh, one of the passages you're going to review, I actually had a conversation with a buddy of mine well, recently. Well, why, why don't we go there? All right. Why don't we go there? Because who's your buddy? A friend of yours? Just a good friend of mine. And what, what uh, religious background did he have? He's a Baptist. So you talked to a Baptist guy. Right. All right. What did the Baptist guy have to say to you? Well, he, he quoted uh, John six fifty three through 58. Right. The quintessential uh, Very Catholic, Catholic, we call it the bread of life discourse. Right. Where Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. But basically, he says... And this is uh, John chapter 6, verses 63 through 58. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it starts at 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Right. Those are very Catholic words. And again, Catholics are all out there going, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's what we do every Sunday. Right. When I go to daily Mass and I receive the Eucharist. Right. So your he, Baptist friend, he brought it up. What did he, he did? Have to say? He, he went on further and said that you know even even some of his disciples took it took it rough. They couldn't they didn't understand what he was saying, and uh, they turned away. And Jesus but didn't how stop did he them. View but, it? but he viewed it symbolically. Okay, so he was saying that Jesus was saying, unless you eat in my spirit and drink in this great exactly. message. In other words, using food sort of as an analogy for consuming exactly. the teachings of, of Jesus. And I've heard people say that. But there is no symbolism there. I don't think so, because he yeah. repeats it several times in that passage. Right. Several times Jesus says, eat, eat, eat. And and the word that he uses when he's talking about eating is, is almost like where you would use your teeth and rip the meat from the bone. Right. It's not like, like some... Gnaw. Yeah, exactly. And, right. and I think that it's very descriptive. Right. So much so that you had many of his disciples at that point say, these are hard sayings. Exactly. Right. We, we gotta, we're we bailing. Exactly. And you would have thought, though, that if Jesus was speaking symbolically. He would have stopped them. He would have said, hey, guys, come on back. Right. But he didn't do that. But isn't, isn't it funny how we can, two different guys looking at this completely differently, though. Isn't that, isn't that strange? It's not strange because I think if you look at it and we look at human nature, a lot of times if we've been brought up in a theology, if we've been brought up in something, right, we see things through that perspective, through that lens. Right. And I'm actually thankful that I was baptized in the Catholic Church as a child because really I had that to come back to. Right. Even though I had lost my faith as a Catholic, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize how much my baptism had an effect on me. Oh, yeah. Right. And prepared me for that 
later in life and my confirmation. These are things that I was, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right. right. I was prepared for this battle. Not everyone's prepared in that same way. Yeah. And so it's not weird, I think, that people would have different takes on Scripture because really what they're trying to do is fit Scripture into their particular theology, their way of life, the way they understand things, the way they've heard it preached to them years and years and years and years and years. Right. And, and for me... You know, I can't speak for everyone, for me, but my eyes were opened, like the scales yeah. fell off my eyes. And, and, and I hope and pray that other people can have that same experience. Now, we have a few more passages I wanted to run through sure. real quick. Let's go to John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, this is Jesus in the upper room, and he, and he gives his apostles. And he shows up, and he gives them the authority to forgive sins. Right. And it's important that, it's important that we understand that what's, what's happening here is if Jesus is giving these apostles some authority to forgive sins, why would you give your son the keys to the car <laughs> if you didn't expect him to drive it? Right. Right? right. I mean, think about that. Here, son, here's the keys to the car, but don't drive it. Right. Well, Jesus is giving them authority that up until now only God had. Right, and keys back then meant a whole lot more than That's they exactly do today. That's exactly right. Well, he gives them this authority to forgive sins. Right. And so he's fully expecting them to use this authority. Right. And how does that happen? How would they forgive sins? They can walk through a room and just wave and say, I forgive whatever sins you might have committed. Right. But really they have to know what the sins are. And how would, you, how would they know what they are? Well, someone would have to tell them. Right. Well, this is where we see uh, confession. Exactly. Again, for a Catholic, this makes perfect sense. Right. That Jesus would give the authority to forgive sins to these these mortal men. Right. But for the Protestant, when I was in my Protestant world, when I was a non-denominational evangelical, I had a problem with this passage. Right. Why would Jesus do this? Why was it necessary? Right. I don't need anyone to forgive my sins but Jesus so I can go in my room and I can pray to Jesus. Right. And that's important. It right? is. Absolutely. It is important that we pray and ask for Jesus' forgiveness. Right. But obviously we need to look deeper here and see why Jesus did that. And I think investigation would show you because he intended to have this church start that he built on the rock of St. Peter. We saw in that first verse. Right. Right. And so and then also we're going to get to um, another uh, another important verse that has something to do with uh, the church and what it does. And we're looking at uh, James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Wow, think about that. Mm-hmm. Right, so here's the anointing of the sick. We see that in our church setting in the Catholic Church, we have the anointing of the sick, and we use this oil. Right, it's a staple. It's a it's a it's a main part of our diet, you right. know, in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. It's important, and it has these effects. And we, f- and we read in James that it forgives sins, it heals, mm-hmm. it has healing quantity qualities. And so, what you wonder is, where else other than the Catholic Church do you find this oil? You're not, not out really, there. you're not going to really see it out there. No. That might be looked like at, at like a, as a human tradition or something like that. Right. And so we have to understand, again, when I was an evangelical, I looked at this, I ignored this passage. I don't understand it. Or ignored the key part about the, uh, uh, the forgiveness of you, sins. You did or, ignore it? I just ignored it. You didn't just skim over it? Well, same thing. I think okay. you skim over it and you don't think about it. Or That's almost it. What I mean is you didn't try to explain it away or... Well, you know what? When your dad's talking to you, mm-hmm. 
uh-huh, and you skim over what he says, yeah. he lets you know. <laughs> you can't just skim over. That's the same thing as ignoring. Right. Because he's going to take offense to that, right? Uh, excuse me, son, I'm talking to you. Exactly. Don't turn your back on me. Don't look over there. Why are you watching television? Put the, the you know your little video game down, whatever. Speak to me. Look in my eyes. Right? right? Mano a mano. <laughs> right? Mano a papo. <laughs> right? And so the same thing here. I may have skimmed over it, but I was technically ignoring it. Yeah. Right? And it's easy to do. Right, because those things, these 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 problem passages will challenge you. Yeah. If you don't wholeheartedly believe everything the Catholic Church teaches, these passages will indeed challenge you. You're going to get a lot of email on this show. Maybe I get a lot of email anyway. I'm excited to get it. I love to get the emails. Well, let's go to First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. This is another one that's going to it raises a lot of ruckus. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Ooh, that's bad. That is real bad. Right? And so, again, as a Protestant, I looked at that. I kind of didn't understand what that could have even meant. Right. What does that mean to eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner? Again, mean, symbolically. you better be going to confession before well, you receive the Eucharist. I know as a Catholic what that means. Now, right. right. It means that you need to believe that this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right. That this bread has been transformed to the body and blood of Jesus. And, and that's important for us to understand. And St. Paul is saying is if you don't believe that, right, don't partake. Right. You're, you're bringing condemnation upon yourself, he says later. Right. And that's important for us to understand. And this is one of the reasons why, as Catholics, we don't share, have open communion, as they call it. We don't have open communion because, specifically, you, we're protecting people. We want to make sure people believe what they're getting ready to partake. But that's also the reason why Catholics don't receive communion in other churches. That's exactly right. We don't okay. have that communion. We're right. not one in communion with those other faiths. Right, right. And so anyway, all these – now these are – these were problem passages back then. They're still problem passages for many. And I would just pray that we uh, we accept these, all of Scripture in its entirety right. is the revealed word of God. Mm-hmm. And as Catholics and Protestants alike, we need, to re- we need to look at all the passages, right? Yep. Well, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you speak to us through the sacred scriptures. In these words, your words, you have revealed to us your mercy, your love, and your intent to keep us in your care for all eternity. Open our hearts to your words, we pray, and help us to remain faithful to our baptismal promise to share your gospel of salvation to all those we meet. We ask this through Christ our Lord, amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.